0: Again, by my great friends and co-hosts, Casey Mock and Hayden Ramsey. So let's say hello to the boys. Casey, you just moved into your new home. How are you and Lauren liking the place so far?
1: Yes, sir, we did liking it a lot. Got a lot of projects finished this week. Got a lot more to do, but other than that, we're liking it a lot. Really glad to be off work this week so I can kind of knock out some of those projects. But,
0: yeah, other than that, doing great, man. I can't wait to see that place in person, man. It looks great. I can see behind you the man cave. And, yeah, I can see some of those projects you've been working on. And it looks pretty good. But we'll go to our other guy now who's up in northwest Ohio enjoying that first week off of school. Hayden, no baseball practice. How's life going on uh, in your neck of the woods?
2: Pretty good. Go from no baseball practice right into football season. So it's not like I got much of a break. But, no, I'm really excited football is my favorite sport so i'm really excited to start this season i think it's gonna be really fun last year i was a volunteer technically so i didn't get keys but this year this year i have keys to the building so making my way up here
0: you're gonna have keys to the city before long if you keep this up but i tell you what's going on over here for me it's been Been rough. Penguins lost last week. If you you guys aren't hockey fans, they got eliminated from the playoffs right after uh, I left Casey's house. So luckily, I didn't get to watch any of it live, but glutton for punishment, I went home and watched it, so that hurt. Pirates suck. sure everybody got to see them and laugh at them last week when they don't know how to play fundamental five-year-old baseball. But outside of that, man, Drew's interview was great. Had a lot of fun. Sounds like everybody that has given us any feedback. It's been glowing, and we're definitely going to have him back on. But otherwise, just grinding, fellas. Just grinding, I guess, right now. This is the the tough part before it becomes a lot of fun here in the next bit as we try to get interviews lined up. But but otherwise, what do you guys say we get into the, the seventh episode here? Yes, sir. Let's do it. All right, well, perfect. Then let's just jump into our... Segment we kind of named a few weeks ago here, our Big Ten, Big Five. This week, we are kind of doing something similar to last week. Last week, if you listen, we did our best football coaches in the Big Ten right now. This week, we changed it up. We decided to flip it over to basketball. haven't been talking about them as much as we'd like to. So we're going to do the best basketball head coaches in the Big Ten as it sits right now. Uh, If you guys have ideas for this, too, or if you want us to talk about something else, we're coming up with the ideas unless we hear something. So we'll let you know after the segment's over what you have to look forward to next week. But otherwise, Hayden, let's go to you first this week. Let's get a countdown from five to one. Best basketball coaches in the Big Ten.
2: I think my list is kind of interesting. Two guys that might that you might have thought I would include on this list I didn't. But I'll get to them at the end. Starting at five, I'm going with Brad Underwood. His record at Illinois isn't amazing. I mean it's it's good. It's just not amazing, but this last year I think really made him jump up my leaderboard a little bit. He's somebody I would buy stock in because I think what he's doing at Illinois is is really good and they have a chance depending on what happens uh with Kofi, what happens with him that they could be fantastic again next year. So he made my list number five. He's only 71 and 56 at Illinois, but one of the reasons why I included him was because he had three NCAA tournament appearances at Stephen F. Austin. So I think that was one of the main reasons he was on my list. Number four, I really struggled with this one because I think this guy is fantastic and it's similar to what Casey was saying last week with Ryan Day. Like Jawan Howard, if he does it for one more year, he's going to climb my standings very quickly. His record is great, 42-17. and Won the Big Ten Championship this year and was the AP and Big Ten Coach of the Year in 2021. I said I would buy stock in Brad Underwood. I would buy major stock. I would throw all the money I have in Dogecoin onto uh, Jawan Howard and I would ride that to the moon because he is an absolute stud. And the way he recruits, that the, train's not, not slowing down. One thing I thought was interesting I saw today was a tweet by Jeff Goodman, who is a basketball writer. And it's, this is not anything that's, I don't even think, remotely possible. But Brad Stevens with the Boston Celtics is taking a front office job still with the Celtics, so they're going to be looking for a new head coach. And he tweeted and said, I would do anything, or something along these. lines, I would do anything to have Jawan Howard coach the Celtics next year. So I thought that was interesting, and that just speaks volumes how good of a coach he is at the college and professional level. So one more year for him, and he will climb my standings probably all the way to number two. Three, I have Mark Turgeon at Maryland. His record is 221 and 113. He won the Big Ten Coach of the Year in 2015, and he won the, his team won the regular season title in 2020. My top three guys here kind of have the longevity aspect of it. I think, especially in basketball, I think that's really, I think that's important. So the longevity aspect weighed on me a little bit here. So he's my number three. Number two, I have Matt Painter at Purdue. 355 and 184 is his record in the conference. He's won three Big Ten regular season titles in 2010, 2017, and then in 2019. And he's been Big Ten Coach of the Year four times, 08, 10, 11, and 19. And then my number one, I don't think there's really any other way to go, is Tom Izzo. 643 wins at Michigan State. He's won the only national title for the conference since 2000 which over two decades been the big 10 coach of the year three times 98 09 and 12 and i didn't write down how many big 10 championships he's won but i'm assuming it has to be a handful here so um i just think his longevity and how long he's been at michigan state and the players that have gone through there combined with his record and national championships puts him at number one for me
1: he's a 10 time big 10 champ
0: Woo!
2: yeah (laughs)
1: But I'll go ahead and uh, I'll give you my list. Hayden, I I love to disagree with you, man, but I can't. We literally have all the same coaches.
2: Shoot, I forgot to give you my honorable mentions. Are these your honorable mentions to you? I have Chris Holtman and Fran McCaffrey as my honorable mentions. And I think the reason I didn't include McCaffrey in my top five is because I absolutely hate that guy because he just seems like the biggest asshole in the conference. I'm sorry, Iowa fans, but he is like just ruthless and he i i just can't stand the guy so maybe I'm a little biased against him but that's the reason he's not in my top 5.
1: Yeah, so at my number 5, I have McCaffrey Holtman and Underwood because I couldn't really decide as to who I wanted to put there. McCaffrey, I feel like has had really talented teams and they've underachieved whereas, you know, Holtman has his first year at Ohio State I thought was fantastic and I really thought that they were going to take off after that but they kind of stayed in the middle of the pack. I know last year they got high up in the rankings and won some big games but they you know they finished with 10 losses. So, you know, I that's why I have him tied for 5th. And then Underwood, Hayden, you said it best. He got off to kind of a rocky start at Illinois, but you no, know, last year was great except for the second round exit. I just think those three coaches are pretty similar, and uh, same with same with me. I can't really stand McCaffrey. I can't really stand this guy at number four either, Mark Turgeon. He's got a one regular season title in 2019-2020. He's got a 66% winning percentage and a sweet 16 appearance in 2016. I mean, I think he's done a good job. He's had some pretty talented teams, and... That, you know, the fact that they've only made it to the Sweet 16 once in his 10 years is kind of crazy. But for me, number three, Jawan Howard and Hayden kind of, you know, hit the nail on the head with his comparison to Ryan Dave and my perspective of coaches. I think that got off to a really hot start, but I need more. And even if Michigan, you know, wins the national title this year, I still don't even know if I can put him, you know, over Matt Painter, who's my number two. Because just of the experience that Painter has, although they did win a Big Ten championship this year, they gosh, I still can't believe they lost that UCLA game. They had, God, they had every shot to win that game, and they just could not make a shot down the stretch. But, you know, along with elite play on the court, Hayden mentioned it, Howard's done a fantastic job of recruiting at Michigan in his first, like, six months, I think, to finish his first class. He ended up with the number one recruiting class in the 2020, and then followed that up with the number one recruiting class in the country. Sorry, he was, had the number one class in the Big Ten in his first season at Michigan with the 2020 class, and then followed that up with the number one class in the country. I expect a big year for Michigan, especially if Dickinson returns, which you know he declared a couple days ago. I'm not really sure... I think he's leaning on coming back. Obviously, I have no insight on that, but the things that I've heard that he's going to be coming back. But they'll have a ton of big guys. they got that Diabate five-star freshman coming in, along with Dickinson, and then Caleb Houston. Yeah, so really the same with Juwan Howard as Ryan Day for me. They have no excuse not to be at the top of the Big Ten. Number two, Matt Painter. Like Hayden, you know, he's won the regular season title three times, won the conference championship once in his 15 years. But he's taken to his team to the Sweet 16 five times with an Elite Eight appearance as well. I just feel like Purdue's always a tough out. Like, they've had some down years under him, but I just think that, you know, you can never count him out, especially playing in Mackey Arena. I, I I do not like playing in that place. And number one, yeah, no question, Izzo is a 10-time Big Ten champion, has seven Final Four appearances. That's really all you need to know to put him at number one, 71%, winning percentage, 68% in the Big Ten. He's really by far the longest-tenured guy. I think Painter is the next closest. But yeah, I don't know if really anybody can pass Izzo within the next five years, I would say, but... Yeah, I think he's my clear number one.
2: I think it's kind of kind of a hot take. If Michigan do, if wins a title this year, you wouldn't put him above Matt Painter, like yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know.
1: Maybe it depends. I guess I, I have no idea. But I don't think that's the expect. Well, I don't necessarily think it's the expectation of Michigan to win the title. Elite eight again would probably be. You know, if they don't make it to the Elite Eight, I would say that the fans would be disappointed, but I don't know. He's just It's going to be his third year coaching at Michigan. It's, it's tough to put somebody with three years, I mean, just like what I did with Ryan Day last week. It's tough to put somebody with three years of college experience over somebody that's been there doing
2: it for 20 plus years pretty consistently. The thing that would make Jawan Howard jump all the way to number two for me would be that If he does it in year three, that's something Matt Painter's never done in 15 years. I think, looking back, that they took over similar-ish programs. Matt Painter took over after Gene Cady, who was a legend at Purdue and had a really good program, and Juwan Howard took over after Beeline, who, maybe he's not a legend, but he had a very, very, very good program at Michigan. So it's not like they were starting over at either one, you know what I mean? Joan Howard is able to get it done in year three. In my opinion, I would just automatically have him jump the two, just because of the situations that they started in.
0: Yeah, that's a fair point. Well, I'm going to keep this pretty shortest, just because, like you guys, I have the same five guys in my top five. But what I will say, first of all, for honorable mentions, someone that we haven't brought up yet that stepped into a not or he stepped into a position that not a lot of people would be envious of is Greg Gardup in Wisconsin taking over for Bo Ryan. You go into that situation. They haven't fallen off nearly as far as you want. That's a tough job to take over. And I think he's held on that momentum as much as he could have. What I will say going from that top five, I also had Brad Underwood five. I had Turgeon at four. So I'm not going to sit here and talk. You guys have hit on them pretty much well. I think it's much more of a discussion at two and three with Howard and Painter than what you guys are allowing it to be right now. And I think it might just be a philosophical difference where kind of like in football where I was mentioning, if you overvalue maybe like recruiting opposed to development or vice versa, it depends on your whole thought process on that, is where you would put maybe a James Franklin in the top. I think that you could do that already with what Howard's doing recruiting for Michigan. Like you said, he starts with the number one class in the Big Ten, follows that up with the best class in the entire country, Maybe the expectation isn't to win a national title yet this year, but, man, we're close. I feel like it's not far from that being the expectation. And the fact that you can't really say that with Purdue, and I know it's a different school. I know it's different expectations and all that. And for the record, that 2018-19 Purdue team, they don't run into that Virginia team, that eventual title team. Who knows? Maybe it's Purdue cutting down the nets because Carson Edwards was unconscious that entire month of March that year. But I do think it's a lot closer. Now, I do have Painter as two right now. But I think, similar to what you guys are saying, I think it's just a matter of time before Howard does jump him as well. And then Tom Izzo at one, he seems to have that spot locked up, at least for the foreseeable future. But who knows what happens in the course of 24, 36 months. Juwan Howard and Michigan can win a title, maybe two. That becomes a real conversation to me. Because I do think that Izzo has done incredible things at Michigan State. It's just a matter of, doesn't it feel like they've kind of been underachieving in the last few years where maybe it's the age because eventually these guys get old. You don't have the fire. It's harder to recruit. I just feel like he's on the decline. And of course, this was the best Big Ten basketball coaches right now. And I think when you put that right now on it, this list is a lot closer to Jawan Howard leading it Opposed to when you add in accolades in their entire career.
2: This is a question that could go for both of you. What does Juwan Howard have to do to take over that number one spot? Like, obviously, you have to win a title, at least one. But, like, if he wins, let's say, five Big Ten championships in the next 14 years, is he number one? Obviously, Izzo's not going to last. Yeah, I was going to say, because Izzo won't
0: last that long. Yeah, the one thing I would say to that, though, is if, let's say, Michigan wins a national championship this year, and going off what I just said, that this is a right-now thing, when you include how dominant he has been in recruiting, I think you could make a legitimate case with a title. You could make that case that he's the best coach right now when you factor all this stuff in. Is he the best X's and O's, guys? Maybe not, but when you also bring in... What he's brought in into that recruiting aspect, that's a thats a layer of coaching. And I do think that you could make a case that he's the best in the Big Ten even after one title this next year.
2: Actually, could you spin that the other way and say with how dominant recruiting that he has been, if he doesn't win a title in five years, does that make him a disappointment? It's like a double-edged sword. Obviously, the recruiting is great, but and that brings the expectations of at least going to the Final Four at, at the minimum, I would say. But like, if he doesn't win a title, does that make him sink on the list? Maybe a spot? Like, i it, It's a fine line, but with the way he's recruiting, I don't, I don't know how to go about that.
0: What I'd argue, I guess, on the opposite end of that is, what, Izzo's title was 21 years ago? At what point do we also say he's completely underachieved in the last two decades? Because it's crazy to look at this Big Ten conference and find someone that you would make an excuse for at these big schools, not winning a title for 20 years. I feel like that, that title was so big for him because it bought him more leeway than I think I've ever seen it. a... I don't know if you'd call Michigan State a major program, but if they're not a major program, they're right there. And he's bought himself such a long leash that I don't think most guys get that same... I mean, people still do the... He's one of the top few coaches in all of college basketball on reputation alone, and I just don't necessarily, if I buy that,
1: He's got seven Final Four appearances, though, man. I think that's what's also bought him a lot of time. But going back to your point about Juwan Howard, Hayden, you said if Michigan doesn't win a title, does that mean he's like a, a worse X and O's coach, I guess, right? What, because well, of the I, way he's been recruiting?
2: I guess I'm just asking if... we, we ha- He has the potential to rise on our list all the way to two. If he... Let's say they're still good, but they... Have a Sweet Sixteen loss, it's a Elite Eight loss. They know they don't make it to the Final Four. Does that is are you, you're giving him credit for for still getting that far, or are you not giving him credit for the talent that he's bringing in? I guess.
1: Yeah, I I just think with basketball recruiting too, it's it's kind of. I don't know. It's a little bit different than football recruiting. Whereas, you know, these these guys can can just peace out after one year. So it's hard to develop the chemistry with guys that are going to be there for three or four years. So having guys come in, I I personally am not a big fan of the one and done method. You know, I know Calipari's had success with it, but it's hit or miss, really, because Calipari, he'll go 34 and three and make it to the championship and then like was it last year they were 12 and 15 or, or something? I don't know. I guess it'll be interesting because, yeah, he's bringing in the talent. And I just wanted to touch on something else. So I was looking at 247 Sports the other day, or yesterday, and Michigan got four crystal balls in basketball for top 80 guys. Four top 80 guys got crystal balls to Michigan within the past week. So what? And one of them is a, is a point guard, 5'9", 145. Yeah, Doug McDaniel, and he's he's rated 79th overall in the country. But anyway, I'm getting kind of off topic here. I think Howard could rise, but like Coach Day, with the talent that he's bringing in, he's got to show me a little bit more.
2: One last question I have kind of switching gears here. Where does Mike Woodson fall on your list? Because obviously he hasn't coached a game in the conference yet, but he has a ton of experience in the NBA. Being an NBA head coach, is he automatically in the top eight, nine? Or does he have to, like, earn his place in this conference? Because, I don't know, when he was initially hired, I I thought it was a pretty decent hire. I mean, the dude has experience everywhere, but no one even talked about him, so I didn't know if he was on anybody's radar at all.
1: Absolutely not on my radar. I think you could say the same about Fred Hoyberg too, or Hoyberg. He had some success in the NBA. It kind of died off toward the end, but he really hasn't taken that, that Nebraska program anywhere. Yeah, that's just my opinion on Mike Woodson. Taking over, taking over kind of a mess at Indiana.
0: I do want to say, Hoiberg, remember we did talk a few weeks ago. He has a couple giant recruits for Nebraska standards coming in, so maybe we're just finally starting to see the fruits of the labor of bringing a guy like him into that program. What I will say for Woodson, though, is that I actually wasn't a giant fan of the hire at first. I feel like that's kind of the place where I would kind of want a younger coach that might be able to, I don't know, imprint his philosophy, his, I guess, approach on a program, opposed to getting a retread. And Woodson, though, I will say this, is since he's come in, there's been a lot of positive noise coming out of the the Illinois fans, of the Illinois athletic department, saying that, They've been impressed with him so far. But, of course, what are you going to say? I said Illinois, didn't I? If I said Illinois, I meant Indiana. Sorry, correct me. That's my bad. But what I will say is, that what are you going to say? You're not going to be like, oh, wow, this guy. It's a failure before we even play a a game. So, I don't know. He's not on my radar. He'd probably be somewhere. Casey hit it best. I think he'd probably be right around the Hoiberg. Right around that 8-10 to range, I think, in the conference right now.
2: So, the only reason why I kind of disagree is... You said he's like a retread, but he's never coached college before. He's always, he's been an NBA guy forever. So, you know, he didn't have a spectacular career coaching in the NBA, but maybe, obviously, it's a different sport. You know, it's, it's totally different. So maybe this is something that will actually work out for him. I don't think it's a, a bad hire. I guess I'm just definitely higher on it than both of you.
0: Well, it, To me, it just almost feels like Indiana basketball is in a very similar spot to what Nebraska football is, where they're so hell-bent on getting back to what their glory days were that I don't know if they'll be patient enough to see someone like Watson survive three or four years to see if he actually can change the program for the better or not. I think it's that their expectations are that of what the the Michigans are right now, and that's just not practical. You're not going to get back there, especially not overnight. But anyways, Casey, if you have any final words on that, we'll let you have it before we start throwing it over into our other topics today.
1: No, man, I'm good. I
0: kind of agree with you, Wally. I
1: I questioned the hire at first. I think a younger guy would have been better for the program. However, you know, we'll see how how Woodson can recruit. I mean, basketball, just like football, is uh who-you-got kind of sport. You
0: know, you got to get
1: the best of the best.
0: Well, then we'll jump right into our topics today. I do want to say real quick, I know it's sad news, so but we want to mention it because big names in Big Ten. Lori Carr, the wife of former Michigan head coach. Lloyd Carr passed away this last week at the age of 70. Leon Burtnett, also, who's a former head coach at Purdue from 1982 to 1986. He also passed away this last week at the age of 78. So our thoughts and prayers to those families and obviously hoping that they can get the closer and peace right now in this difficult time for them. But let's jump into some more lighthearted Big Ten news now. Something that we can happily complain about that's not the end of the world. There's been some more big noon casualties this last week. Wisconsin and Notre Dame was now a a noon game as well. Nebraska and Oklahoma, they're on the 50th anniversary of the game of the century with 1971 Nebraska number one. Beat number two, Oklahoma. Been a long time to see Nebraska up there in that realm. But anyways, 50 years, they're AD, the Oklahoma AD. They're all upset. I mean, there's nothing we can do about it. I mean, Fox Sports have TV deals for years. But I guess what was your thought to see a couple big games like this be, I guess, 11 a.m. kicks when you consider the fact that these are central time zone games?
1: I love. The Nebraska-Oklahoma game being at noon for us. Because I love having that game. Like, you know, I don't like easing into the day. You know what I'm saying? I want a banger right off the get-go.
2: Bold Um, that you assume that game's going to be a banger.
1: Well, a game that I would like to tune into, I guess.
2: Nebraska plus 16 and a half is a lock, by the way.
1: You think, huh? Nah. Backdoor cover or something? Late touchdown? Interesting. I don't know. But as far as the OU athletic director, like Wally said, there's nothing that you can do. Like, Fox has the rights. It's don't sign the deal. Like, I don't know what to tell you.
2: Like Wally, I think we have grown to hate the big noon game just because of how many times Ohio State has played on it. Or played at that noon slot. So, yeah, it does suck. I feel bad because I'm sure they wanted that to be at least a 3.30 or perhaps even a night game. But it is what it is, man. Just like Casey said, what do you do? The Wisconsin-Notre Dame one, though, actually, (laughs) I'm going to have the complete opposite take. That's like the most Midwestern game ever, and I feel like that game deserves a noon kick. (laughs) So that one I'm cool with, but the Nebraska-Oklahoma game, it does kind of suck for me. I agree with the OU athletic director.
0: Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with him. But he kind of, you lose a little bit of your footing when exactly in his quote, he says, well, they used their entire legal right to make this a night or a noon game. Like, he's even admitting in his response, he's like, yeah, they have every right to do this. But it's just, it is frustrating, especially when you consider the fact that Penn State and Beaver Stadium will still get a whiteout. They'll still get a night game against a really good team. And for whatever reason, they just get a pass. And I don't know how that works. But I will real quickly say this, too. This is the only time these rivals in Oklahoma Nebraska... This was an annual deal. It was a big game every year. And it's a bummer because the home-and-home is going to be these next two years. But after that, we don't see this matchup again until 2029 and 2030. So it's a bit of a bummer. I can see why everybody wants it to be a night game. But at the end of the day, again... Fox and Big Ten had the right to make that a noon game, so they're complaining doesn't do us any good. I got a question, and it's
1: kind of off-topic here. Is Texas and Texas A&M playing within the next few years or something? I'll look that up real quick. Oh, yeah. I mean, not, not a big deal, but I just, you know, getting the rivalry renewed, I just, for some reason, I thought of that game because of all the tension that's been all over really social media between those two schools. And I know it's been a while since they played.
2: So this is September 18th, correct? I'm not wrong when I say that. I think one of the games that could be a sleeper, if they really wanted to try to appease both sides, Cincinnati plays at Indiana that week. And Cincinnati has a ton of dudes coming back, and Indiana has all this preseason hype. I feel like that could have been a a decent replacement game for a big noon kick so then Oklahoma wouldn't be pouting like this. Because I'm, I'm not going to lie, I might watch that Cincinnati-Indiana game more than I'll watch the Nebraska-Oklahoma game, just because I don't know what the spread on the Indiana-Cincinnati game is, but it's going to be a heck of a lot closer than the Oklahoma-Nebraska game.
1: does it Cincinnati play Notre Dame too? Or some other big school,
0: I thought. I haven't looked that one up yet, but I will say this. Texas and Texas A&M, as it sits right now, do not have each other on their future football schedules. Wow. Big bummer. Yeah.
1: Well, thanks for looking that up. I'll ask Alexa real quick since, you know, I got her working.
2: October 2nd is Cincinnati plays at Notre Dame, by the way. Ah, okay. Which actually could be another. I'm high on Cincinnati this year. They have a ton of guys coming back. I know this. they're not Big Ten but they're mid- Midwest-related, I'm really high. I think they could have a really nice year. The fighting hey, Luke Fickles, baby.
1: If they go undefeated, beating Indiana and Notre Dame, they've got to be in, right? No shot. I mean, if, if they no were give
2: no shot? I don't think until they expand the playoffs that a, a non-Power 5 team's going to get in. I just don't think it's going to happen. Even though with that schedule, I think they would be worthy. I don't think it's going to happen, though. I just, I don't. I don't see it. Imagine Cincinnati being your four against Alabama. I just don't. I don't see it happening.
0: Fair or not, if they earn it and it makes sense, they might be there. I mean, here's the thing: it takes a perfect situation for that to happen. You would need an SEC champion that probably is undefeated that took care of business. The rest of the SEC beat each other up. You need Clemson to do the same thing. Probably run the table. ACC is not good. Then this is where it's going to be frustrating. But you need. Obviously, you need a at least two-loss Pac-12 champ. And then you need the Big Ten and Big 12. You need one of those teams that win that conference to probably be a two-loss, I think, for an undefeated Cincinnati to get in. I think one loss, I don't know if it'd be enough. We've seen the committee, how little they value the group of five. I just I think it would take two losses from multiple Power 5 champions to have a shot.
2: Like, imagine Ohio State loses to Oregon early in the season, then runs the table, and then you have an undefeated Cincinnati. Who are they going to take? Because I already know who they're going to take.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, it depends on how the rest of the top four shake out. But, man, I, I tell you what, that would be – and I guess it all kind of depends on how Indiana and Notre Dame finish, too. Like, if Indiana gets back to their 8-4, and 7-5 and five days, then it doesn't mean as much. Yeah, I mean, I guess. Yeah, I in that situation, you'd still definitely take a one-loss Oklahoma or a one-loss Ohio State. And, Wally, you can count on the Pac-12 champion having at least two losses is not even a question.
0: <laughs> You're probably right on all of that, honestly. But the one thing I will say about that, too, is that not that it's fair, but you know that the committee was almost like, oh, I told you Cincinnati wasn't worthy of it when they lose to a team like Georgia last year, and that's not fair, but I just feel like they're like, oh, Georgia had a little bit of a... They weren't, I guess... Because they were, what, two losses going into that Cincinnati game, or was it three losses?
1: Georgia? I yeah. I think it was two. They got smacked by Alabama, and then Florida? I, I don't know. But anyway, I thought that Georgia team... Once JT Daniels got in there... Man, they they started rolling, and I would not be surprised if the SEC gets two teams in and it's Alabama and Georgia. I would not be surprised at all.
0: Yeah, my whole point was just saying that the committee felt validated in putting a two-loss or a three-loss Georgia team ahead of that Cincinnati team after that game ended where you know everybody on Twitter, everybody on social media was pounding the let a group of five team in, and then when you lose a big bowl game like against Georgia where in all reality, up until that final 15 minutes, Cincinnati kind of controlled the play. But then it's almost like the committee feels validated on all this. And I'm not saying that's right or not. I just, that's at least the way I kind of look at it. And they were probably fired up that a group of five team lost to a, a couple lost power five that almost made it themselves. Well, let's get back on to Big Ten basketball now. Kofi Coburn had an Instagram post last night. I guess we're recording this on Wednesday afternoon.
2: can I interrupt you? Sorry. I just got an alert on my phone. Breaking news. Mike Kroceski is retiring from Duke. No, not Big Ten related, but after the 21-22 season. So after this coming season, he's going to retire. Just thought I'd put that on the pod here.
0: No, good call. Yeah, Coach K being, first of all, that pronunciation, holy hell, Hayden, that was something. But uh, yeah, Coach K being out, that's a, we were talking Big Ten best basketball coaches. I mean, hell, I mean, he's one of the best to ever do it. It it will be a different day to see Duke without Coach K. I guess, I mean, hell, you brought it up. If you guys have, either of you want to say anything about Coach K, feel free to throw it in here now.
1: Yeah, my first thought is who who's going to get that job? Greg Paul is still on the staff there. I feel like that would be a, a decent candidate.
2: Nice young former player there.
1: Anyone else come to mind as to who's going to get that job?
2: Give any, me J.J. Redick coming back a, to Duke. Give Did it he me. even retire from the NBA? No, he hasn't. But <laughs> that would be awesome to watch, I think.
1: Kind of Big Ten related here. Are there any Big Ten coaches that we could see make that jump to Duke? Is there anybody that stands out?
0: Not necessarily, but I was going to say, who was it that last year defended Coach K? It was, I was it Pittsburgh uh, head coach? He was a former assistant or a former player? Jeff Capel. Yep. I could see Capel having an outside shot at that job as well. Uh, I couldn't remember his name, so that's good. But yeah, we'll talk about, I mean, no matter who it's going to be, you would imagine there's going to be an immediate perceived fall off. Maybe that doesn't happen, but maybe Duke has gotten so big as a brand that they can survive this without too much of a fall-off. But, man, Coach K, I mean, he's iconic for a reason. But, yeah, we'll get back to what we were saying back on college basketball still. Kofi Coburn, last night, Tuesday night, sent out an Instagram post. It kind of seems like he's on the way out and he is going to follow through with going into the NBA draft process. His Instagram post read, Extremely happy to have been a part and represented a program like this. I enjoyed every single day I spent in Champaign and I am proud of the growth I had while I was there. Words cannot express how much I love the Illini, and I wouldn't have traded that part of my journey for the world. Sounds like an exit message, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I know we touched on this a few episodes back, but I am going to be very, very happy with Kofi Coburn gone. (laughs) Dude is a beast. Best of luck to him if he decides to go to the NBA and gets drafted, though.
2: What a great day for the rest of the conference, I guess, not having to deal with that guy. That guy was an absolute animal. I'll be interested to see how he works out in the NBA. But, you know, wish him him the best. Uh, I am glad that nobody else has to play against that guy anymore because he was an absolute game changer.
0: I had to actually look in through our text here a second ago. I sent that Instagram uh, text in our group chat, and Hayden's exact response was, thank God, And I really do think, Casey, you said it too, the rest of the conference, man, it's going to be nice to not have to look in and see that seven-foot-tall beast inside. That'll be huge for everybody else. But yeah, good luck to him as he goes on to the NBA. It's a shame that he didn't come through 10, 15 years ago. We talked, again, a few episodes ago when we were talking about Coburn. I mean, 20 years ago, he carves out a really meaningful NBA role. But the way the game has changed so much... I don't know how well he'll do at the next level. So I guess if you're an Illinois fan, you're going to keep beating that drum until it's official. Like, hey, man, come back. Let's run this back one more time. You know we were a legit title threat this last year before we ran into Sister Jean and her magic voodoo. So, I mean, hey, come on home and let's try it one more time. It just (laughs) does not sound like he's very receptive to that idea at the moment.
1: Watching the Lakers game last night, A good comp, I think, for Kofi Coburn is Andre Drummond. I think that's a great comp. Pretty much a beast down low defensively, pretty skilled offensively, but, you know, can't shoot the three, can't shoot free throws worth a lick. I think he'll find a decent role in the NBA and have a pretty good career, but, yeah, I I agree. You know, if he was 20 years ago, he'd be a top 7-8 pick for sure.
0: Well, best of luck to Kofi on whatever he decides. Again, I think we all know what, the three of us are rooting for as Ohio State or Michigan basketball fans. You are still a Michigan basketball fan, right? I want to be clear on that. Yes, sir. Jawan Howard.
1: I kept on the train when Jawan Howard was uh, hired.
2: That's unbelievable, actually, how you can Why? do that. That's like being me being an Ohio State football and then a Duke basketball fan. How do you like you different? You used to
0: like
1: North Carolina or some shit?
2: I mean, yeah, I appreciate them, but they're not my favorite team. If if they play North, if Ohio State plays North Carolina, I'm not rooting for North Carolina. So I, I don't know. That's just that boggles my mind how you can I, I, I mean, like I a don't, basketball program, but not the football program at the same I, school.
1: I d- I just don't like any college football program. I respect them all, and I want them all to do well.
0: Okay, so I have to ask though, what would it take for you to? Outwardly and openly, wear that Michigan M on a football Saturday again. Or is this like, no matter what happens, they're dead to you? Well, in the Harbaugh era, they have gotten off to
1: great starts and given me great hope. And those hopes and dreams have been crushed. So I think it would take a season where they win the Big Ten... Beat Ohio State and are competitive, and I would assume the, the playoff for me to bust
2: out the Michigan stuff again. So, you're a front runner, is what you're saying? Like, I, 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 <laughs> I, I really I don't understand. I guess I'm the, I never will.
1: I just think that I'm going to be a very neutral fan for the rest of my life because I'm not sure it's ever going to happen.
0: I don't know. Like, it feels weird to have you not have a team. Like, it just—I remember when you packed it up. I thought it was going to be like a couple week thing. So you're killing me, Casey. We almost have to bring you back. I tell you what, though, it's made college football a lot more fun.
1: Like, not hating Ohio State, being able to respect them and like enjoy their recruiting success and their success on the field. You know, being able to look at Rutgers recruiting and like be happy for them and not be like, oh, shit, you know, Michigan's got to deal with this now has been, one, a lot
0: less stressful and a lot more fun, in my opinion. You'll never convince me that you're not secretly fist-pumping in the bathroom when Ohio State gives up a touchdown, but whatever you say, Casey, that's fine. Well, I'm going to keep asking this as it goes on because maybe we can speak this Michigan season into existence for you and maybe you can uh, you can come back and join the land of the living. Yeah, you can try all you want, but as long as Harbaugh's up there, I don't see it happening. Well, we're going to figure out if it's going to happen. What else we're going to figure out? Everything goes back to recruiting. You guys are the recruiting guys here, and again, it's turning into almost a weekly thing for us, but if you are not a diehard recruiting fan, you might have missed this last week. The long-awaited end-of-the-dead period is finally here after 15 months, and what happens on June 1st? Crystal Balls. We see a visits lined up. It's been a crazy little time. Instead of me reading all these guys in their crystal ball predictions, I want to ask you, and who care? I don't care who goes first, who stood out to you? What schools, have I guess, have taken advantage of this lack of a dead period again? And, and who are the guys we should most be looking forward to going forward? Yeah, so first thing I want to say
1: is that the month of June is going to be awesome for college football recruiting. I was looking at Michigan and Ohio State's visits this month. Holy crap. Do both schools have a ton of talent coming coming to their campuses. It's going to be fun. It's going to be, I think there's going to be a lot of commits. Just a lot of fun in recruiting. But as far as guys that stand out to me that got crystal balls, um, Jaden Gold stood out to me. One, because he's been tied to Michigan a little bit, but he got a crystal ball to Penn State. He's a high four-star guy. What his size is what really uh, stands out to me. 6'2", 190 corner. I think, you know, wherever he goes, if he develops, he's going to be a
2: a really high draft pick. I'm glad Casey went first because that's the exact thing I was going to say. That's turning into an interesting battle. You know, he's gotten some crystal balls to Penn State now, but for the longest time, he had like two or three to Michigan at a decent confidence level. So it wasn't like you know it was like a one level there were like 6 and 5 6 and 7 i think but just now another, it looks like he's... just
1: another strikeout for Michigan typical yeah they're, they're not they're not going to get the new jersey kids anymore and jaden's from the new jersey area where michigan has recently done a really good job of recruiting but with the resurgence of rutgers and can't get a guy lose a guy to penn state they got to go find another it's very obvious where they need to go It's back to Ohio, but you know it'd be interesting to see where they where they go if they can't get the New Jersey kids
2: anymore. Yeah, that's that's really too bad. I I feel so bad for them.
1: You're not hurting my feelings (laughs) here.
2: I know. I'm, I'm not trying to. I'm being completely honest. But the other one, Minnesota got two crystal balls, and I think nothing crazy there. That's kind of their level that they're recruiting. Wisconsin, same thing. You know, a three star corner. I actually – we were talking about Wisconsin was – it, was it last week or the week before about their recruiting and how they're always kind of middle-ish of the pack? The – let me – I got to double-check this real quick. It was the 2019 class was their best class. Is that right? Or is it 2020? 2020? I, I feel like
1: it might have been 2020 with Graham Mertz, but yeah, I, I would so, have
2: to double-check that as well. The 2020 class – is the only class in Wisconsin history to be in the top 25 on 24-7 sports. Can you believe that? That actually blew my mind. I, I was looking back through the years. I was like, there has to be a year that they were in the top 25 at least. No, it was only that year. I looked back all the way to like 2008 or something, and that was the, they weren't in the top 25, which actually like, boggled my mind. Um, hey, that
1: just proves my point as to why Paul Christ is the best coach in the Big Ten. He's dealing with less talent.
2: Yeah, I I guess I I don't know. The last guy I wanted to talk about was Moses Walker, who I, we're just throwing these names out there. A lot of people probably don't even know who these names are, but this guy is a six foot two, two hundred twenty pound linebacker, four star, with a ninety four rating on on his composite from twenty four seven, with a crystal ball to Rutgers, which is absolutely amazing. I am so. I'm cheering for Rutgers to, for Shiana to keep this up because I, it's incredible. And I think they're ranked number seven nationally right now, which again, it's very early. But if they're going to continue to get guys like this, they're going to stay right in that seven to 12 ish range, depending on what happens here. So
0: I'm like big mad right now because you got to steal all my smoke, Hayden. I'm going to basically merge this recruiting bit with my last topic that I did want to bring up. And apologies if I get the pronunciation of this wrong. But Wisconsin this week, not only are we talking about the recruiting aspect, they lost a huge piece of that. The director of player personnel, Saeed Khalif. I think that's pronounced correctly. If not, I apologize. But yeah, he gets there about four or five years ago. And then what happens? You see in the recruiting avenue, they had their best class ever. In 2019 at 29th. Well, again, realize this is all according to 24-7 and how they go. And he just brought up the lack of top 25s of Wisconsin. But they were 29th in 2019, 26th in 2020, and then 16th in 2021. And according to—I just had his name up here. I don't want to not give him credit. But yeah, according to Ryan Oblenis, he was talking about how these were the three best classes in Wisconsin football history according to 24-7. And they lose this guy to Michigan State. He just goes right across the Little Lake, Michigan there. And now all of a sudden, Michigan State, that's desperately trying to rebuild their own program, they have a little bit of a boost coming in from the recruiting avenue where it looked lately that they were taking more of the transfer portal route. So this was a huge loss for Wisconsin, a huge get for Michigan State. And again, that's so crazy what Paul Christ and that Wisconsin... Not even Paul Chris. we're going before that. Even Gary Anderson for the 15 seconds he was there. Brett Bielma before him and Barry Alvarez. What these guys are able to do with less, air quotes less, is is remarkable. And who knows, maybe they can keep that momentum that Khalif had helped bring there. But I don't know, man. That's a huge loss for the Badgers.
1: Yeah, and whoever steps into that role has got, I think they were pretty hand in hand with their the recruiting side. They got they got some work to do this offseason because Wisconsin is still I know we touched on it a few weeks back, but they have one commit right now. One three star quarterback commit. They have some work to do the the last ranked class in the Big Ten, which is kind of crazy. But that's a tough loss for sure.
2: Yeah, a big loss. I actually want to pose a question to both of you because I want to hear your thoughts. So the 16th class and rated class in 2021 was Wisconsin's best ever. And Wisconsin's played some competitive games with Ohio State recently. I mean, pretty close. How many classes like that 16th, you know, if they're, instead of pulling the 29th or the 30th or the 25th, 26th, how many of those classes in the 20 to 15 range does Wisconsin have to get in a row before they beat Ohio State? Does that make sense? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, the talent from a 15th rated class is different than the talent from the 30th rated class. How many, you know, is it like one more class they could do it or two more? Or like, how many do you think it would be before they could beat? They've been close, but to beat Ohio State.
1: My opinion, I think that it depends on what the class is made of. You know, going back through these Wisconsin classes, their top two guys in 20... Twenty, were offensive tackles their top three guys in 2021 are offensive tackles. And that's not really ever been an issue for Wisconsin in terms of being able to withstand elite defensive lines. They've always had a really good offensive line. It's the playmakers on the outside and it's the quarterback, like we talked about, that's really been their Achilles heel. And I think that until they can get the top, you know, Jalen Berger was a top, you know, 150 guy. I think he's going to be a really good player. But until they can get the guys that can take off the top of a defense, like that Cephas guy, you know, he was a pretty good player. But I'm pretty sure in his pro day, he ran like a 4'6", something. They need to recruit better skill guys there because they always they always seem to have good offensive linemen. also usually have studs on defense, too,
0: linebackers usually a pretty decent secondary as well. Agree a lot with that, Casey. But here's the thing too. It's like, it's so hard to ask that question in in a generic sense because so many things have to happen because ultimately I imagine if you're bringing this up, you'd be talking about the Big Ten title game because it's not even necessarily they play every year in the regular season. It would That would be where they match up. But it's not only the lack of speed on both sides of the ball right now. I think the game plan's got to be different too. I think you have to trust a guy like Graham Mertz and that passing game a little bit more than you would have seen Wisconsin teams in the past where they try to run the ball 40 times in a game lining up at a pro. And I just don't know if that's the way you're going to beat Ohio State. I think you have to be a little bit more trusting of that quarterback in the skill position to make plays on the outside. But again, too, I mean, yeah, you can have, like depending on the type of players you're bringing into each class – you need that speed on defense, too. I mean, we're seeing it every time they match up right now in the Big Ten title game in the last, what, five years or so. They just can't match up. I mean, you're just seeing nine route after nine route half the time with the Buckeyes, and it's just throwing camp under it. I don't know. I, I think a lot of it is a philosophical and game planning on both sides of the ball problem, too, on on top of lack of speed. So, I don't know. I really don't know how to answer that question. Uh, I, I just wish I had a better answer for you.
2: So, Paul Crist isn't that good of a coach, is what you're saying? If his game plan isn't good? Like, I don't, what do you, explain to me.
1: Paul Crist understands the personnel that he has. And with a Cephas, who's their best receiver, running a 4-6-40, you're not going to stretch the ball vertically because uh, that's going to be, that's an easy cover for me. I could go out there and cover a guy, uh, you know, Ooh, I'll take. yeah, that a hot take it, right? <laughs> you right. But you get what I'm saying. Like when Ohio state has guys like Sean Wade or Denzel Ward or Damon Arnett, who's running four, three forties, you know, covering a guy vertically that runs a four, six just is not that big of a challenge for them. So I would say that Paul Christ is still a great coach. He just understands his personnel and realizes that he can't stretch the ball vertically He needs to build off of his run game and play action and uh, you know hit that big boy uh, Ferguson, right? Jake Ferguson, great tight end.
0: You said it perfectly there too, Casey, where I think that we always ask about expectations. I feel like we bring that up every single week. We talk about coaches and all that. I think that they're built and their expectation is let's win our division. And then you cross the bridge of Ohio State once you get there or whoever comes out of the Big Ten East. And they're just not right now constructed to beat a team like that. I think that that's where it's really difficult when you're in a state like Wisconsin. The speed's not there. The high school speed is not there. And it's tough to go out of state and get that. They did a lot better with, again, Sa- Saeed Khalif. really hope I'm saying that right, because I've said it like four times. But like you have guys like that who are finally able to reach out and go out of state and get some uh, guys that I guess we weren't used to seeing Wisconsin get. And I think it's just going to take... I I know this is literally the point of what your question was, but they just have to keep recruiting that speed. They have to keep improving these classes if you want to consistently compete in the Big Ten title game. Because right now, I think there's still a little bit of a gap.
2: I'll answer my own question. I think if they got two more classes in the 10 to 16 range, I guess is what they had last year, including if they got skill guys like you said, with some speed. I would think three solid classes like that in a row that they could beat Ohio. I mean, they've already played them close. I think they could beat Ohio State with, if they got two more, two more after this.
0: I hate to, I feel like I'm in Casey's body right now asking a question, but and then this will be the last thing we say on Buckeye Talk here. But at that point then, if they could beat them with only top 15, top 20 classes, then is Ryan Day underachieving? we're getting top five, top seven classes, it feels like all the time. Then it feels like you're not developing, then you're underachieving with that. So that's where I guess it's, could is a fun word, but will, who knows? That's, it's really, it's a fine line you're walking. Yeah, that's a great
1: point. I think that you could really argue either way. You know, you could elevate Paul Chris because of the recruiting, or because of the um, players that he's got, or you could devalue him because of the, Recruiting that he's done, and you know, vice versa with Ryan Day. I think that could argue really either either side, really for
2: either coach. I guess I was I was really trying to give Wisconsin credit for something rather than talk about Ohio State, but that's all right.
0: Well, I mean, hey, it's just we're not used to you giving credit to Wisconsin, so naturally I had to really anyone else but Ohio State. But yeah, (laughs) he said it. I didn't say it.
1: Right? uh Oh, (laughs) come on, Hayden. We're just playing.
0: No, we're dead serious. And now we're going to go to our Ask CHW segment now, where we're going to get a couple more uh, questions here. We only had one from the outside this week, so we're going to have Hayden posed one for us too that we want to go with. Make sure you guys are sending these Ask CHW questions, because we'll, again, we'll answer anything you want us to, to answer. And Alex Pessel, he asked last week, good buddy of ours, he asked another question this week. Most iconic Big Ten basketball shot of all time and Why? Whoever wants to take this one, I'll let you guys go ahead first.
2: All right. Alex, I will go first. And I did more of a recent – yeah, I know you said of all time, but I did more of recent years. And the first one that came to my mind was – and Alex, you actually answered this question on your own. After he submitted this question, he texted me a video of this shot. Christian Watford beating number one Kentucky – was absolutely bananas i remember watching that game plus you got i don't know if you guys remember but if you go back and like watch the video of that they like zoom in on tom kareen as he's like walking to shake i guess it was calipari's hand and the 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 look on his face was absolutely incredible Uh, i think that's a gift somewhere so that one came to my mind first the second one was the evan turner shot in the big 10 tournament against michigan I don't know why Michigan didn't guard the inbound there. Still still don't understand. 3. I remember I was watching. This was a late night game. This was like a was it like a 9:47 tip or something. So the game didn't get do, get done until almost midnight. Jordan Poole's game winner against Houston in the second round of the tournament was absolutely crazy. My favorite Michigan player, Abdul Rahman, passed it to Poole who then, you know, throws up this this deep deep 3. Drained it. Rest is history. They won that game, and then the last one. This one was a, a little bit older, or I guess. It's only ten years, eleven years old. Was Michigan State hit a game winning three against Maryland, and I think that was the second round. It was a five four matchup. Hit one against Maryland, and I can't remember who the player was. I think it was like Lucius Lush, or something, something like that. But anyway, those are those are my four.
0: Yeah, no, I think those were a good list. I'm, I actually had most of them on mine, so I'm going to go with a couple off that were, because I also think there are a couple non-Buckeye ones after I say this first thing. I'm usually, I like to believe I'm not that biased, but I can't help myself. Ron Lewis hitting the three against Xavier in the second round of 6 when it looks like Ohio State might take, at that point, a historic loss with the team that everybody had kind of chalk, put them all the way up until Florida at the end of that tournament as well. So them hitting that three, that was a personal one. But beyond that too, I think that, I was kind of surprised you didn't put it on your list. Trey Burke's three, the deep three against Kansas. I still remember, like my jaw took like three minutes to pick back up. It was I want to say it was like a 30, 32 footer to force overtime. And I don't even remember if they won that game or not. And I think that says a lot about how iconic a moment is that you don't even necessarily have to remember the outcome to remember a specific moment. And for me, I, it was one of my favorite moments. And I I was rooting against Michigan because naturally that's what we do. But I was still amazed and it was still so much fun to watch it happen. And just uh, for me, that was a, an all-time one. But you said it before, the Kristen Watford shot against Kentucky at home, the immediate fiasco that happened after there's so many good options you could do with this list. If you could go with almost every single team, like if you're just a Buckeye fan, you could bring up the Aaron Kraft shots. Uh, you can bring up, uh, like you said, the Evan Turner shots. You can do this for almost each team. It's just hard. But for me, I think I'm going to go with Trey Burke just because of how difficult and how big that moment was.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree with you, Wally. The first one that came to mind for me was the Trey Burke shot. That game was just incredible all, all around. Michigan was down by 14 with less than seven minutes left and was down by five with 21 seconds left. That game was incredible. Like you said, Wally, my jaw hit the ground. I, I couldn't believe that he, one, took that shot and then, <laughs> two, made it. it was just incredible. Michigan did end up winning that game and then went on to advance to the national title that year. That's really the first shot that came to mind. I did see the thread on the tweet and saw the Evan Turner shot. I remember I was in school when that game was being played and for some reason Mr. B was like running around cheering that, you know, Evan Turner hit that shot. That stood out to me. I had to rewatch that the Christian Watford shot, but once I did I, I remembered it. And then, obviously, I remember the Jordan Poole three. That was at, you know, 1 o'clock in the morning. Lauren had to work the next day, and he hits that shot, and I just scream. I was cheering, and she was not happy about that. But, yeah, those those were all great shots, but the Trey Burke one for sure is my number one.
0: This is a fun question because you really could take that a lot of directions. It's more of a personal, iconic moment, I guess, because... We don't have, unfortunately, like the NC State moment in our conference where it's definitive that you can go back to. There's a lot of really close, I think, in that next tier that were really good. But thank you, Alex. Keep the questions coming. You're the man. We love you, and you're perfect. Anyways, Hayden, you posed another question to us because we're like, well, hell, we want to have at least two of these each week. And, of course, guys like us, we love food. So, of course— you posed the best fast food joint of the big three. So we're not including the the Swenson's, the in and outs of the world for everyone out there. This was the McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's option. You know, I'm not even going to throw it over to you guys first because I know I'm going to get a hard time. And no, you know what? No, screw it. I'm just saying BK gets a lot more shit than it deserves. That's all I'm saying. I'm, that's all I'm saying. It's it's much better then people give it credit for Burger
2: King is absolutely garbage. It's the war. If they weren't even, I wouldn't even include them in the top 10. They are absolutely garbage.
0: See in a galaxy brain, like Casey and I over here, we're not worried about what, what you say. We know what tastes good. So catch me sitting in that shorter line at BK. I hope you guys keep going to McDonald's. I hope you keep going to Wendy's. Keep that line short for me. McDonald's and Wendy's are great. I'm not saying they're not good. I'm just saying Burger King gets so much more disrespect than it deserves. And I'm throwing it to Casey first now because he was nodding along, so I think he actually has some nice things to say about me before we uh, we probably just skip Hayden altogether.
1: Yeah, Wally, I, I completely agree with you. I do think BK gets a lot of disrespect, but their, their burgers, the sesame seed bun, first off, stands out. And then second, they put mustard on the burger. And I love that. So if I'm going for a good burger out of the three, I'm going to BK. If I want a nice chicken Caesar salad, I'll go to Wendy's because those, those are pretty bomb. And then McDonald's, really, ever since they got rid of the snack wrap, man, I just, I don't know. I I don't go there as often. But in my opinion, this might be a hot take, they have the better fries of the three.
0: Which one? I have to know. McDonald's. No, no, I'm with you there. Now, one thing I'll say before we throw it to Hayden. You're right. The mustard on the burger is outstanding. I think that's partly why when I went out and tried In-N-Out, I liked it so much because they do the same thing. It's like they put mustard in the ground beef when they're working it together. So that's why the mustard on a burger is a game changer. But Before I say anything else, we have to hear a little flack uh, coming from Hayden.
2: First of all, mustard on a hamburger is absolutely despicable and it's the worst condiment you could ever put on a burger it tastes like shit it doesn't taste good it's not good at all Burger King is absolutely horrendous it isn't even in my top 10 fast food chains it's not good now I will say I also am not a huge fan of Wendy's because it is very very pricey for i feel like the amount of food that you get the frosties the frosties are good the frosties are good you get a little dip them in the fry action that's really good but mcdonald's has to be the best one and first of all they have the best quality i guess of food and it's the cheapest of the three really i honestly i can't believe you guys put burger king at number one that's just unbelievable
1: Whoa, it's not good I didn't say they were number one. I was just saying that they don't deserve all the hate that
0: they get. Okay, so who's your one? See, no, I'm with Casey here. I really... Oh, and maybe I'm misreading this. I don't necessarily have an order. It really depends on the day. Like McDonald's, I would prefer their breakfast and their fries. Wendy's, the Frosties, like the ice cream department, I guess you could call it, is better at Wendy's. The burger itself... I would prefer probably the BK burger. I love a McDouble, but like it really depends on the day. Cause then there's some days I want chicken and then I'll probably go to Chick-fil-A. I think that it's just like, there's not a hard order where I'm going to be like, Oh, I won't go to McDonald's. Let me put my BK shirt on. Like, it's not like that to me.
2: What yeah, I'm, all right I'm hearing is all, all I'm hearing is that you guys don't like commitment and that's fine. You don't have to, you don't have to like, you don't have to be committed to anything, but, Burger King sucks. So,
0: sorry we weren't married at seventeen, Hayden.
2: <laughs> Best decision I
0: ever made. I love you,
2: Madison. Smart man.
0: Very smart man indeed. But I guess, guys, that's gonna wrap us up. It's gonna bring us to another end of an episode of Pigskins and Nylon. We'll be back next week on June 11th, where we'll have another edition of Our Big Ten's Big Five. Now, next week we're actually gonna be ranking the five games we're looking forward to most in the Big Ten football season. I'll leave it up to you guys if you want to decide if you want to do non-conference games as well or if you want to stick strictly to the Big Ten schedule. Follow your own heart there. But make sure you submit to us your AskCHW questions by tweeting at us and using the hashtag AskCHW. We'll also accept those questions tagged to us on Instagram or Facebook because we're still getting the hang of there. I've been grinding over on Instagram doing like 45 minutes or so a day. So hopefully you guys... Can see that there's a little bit of an improvement. But we love all your guys' feedback, so please keep the comments coming. Have something you want to see us talk about, let us know. Have something you want us to do differently, let us know. Make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at P and N pod, Facebook at P and N pod, and Instagram also at P and Pod. If you have any people you want us to try to interview, send us a text message or whatever you know how to get a hold of us if you if not (laughs) we just told you the social media let us know what you want to do but otherwise guys do we have any final thoughts for the listeners today
1: no i uh appreciate all of our listeners and all the feedback that we get we're still getting a hold of things and it's been a lot of fun continue to help us out by using the hashtag SCHW. those questions are fun we appreciate that alex hope to get a
2: lot more First of all, Burger King sucks. Final thought. It's absolutely horrendous. Second thing, Dogecoin to the moon. I need that money back, please, because it kind of took a dip. And third thing, I am so – I know we talked about it a little bit. I am so excited for this month of recruiting stuff. It's going to be absolutely amazing.
0: BK does not suck. But my final thought for you guys today would just be this, that Penn State, I'm sure you guys saw – it looks like they're going to have their 107,000 fans back in the stadium this fall as well. Now they're moving towards that direction. The way PA was looking for a long time, we weren't sure if that was going to happen, but like the local businesses out there in uh, state or in Happy Valley were really fired up about the the news. So that'll be fun. Also, last thing for me, Quinn yours. Is that first of all, is that how you say it, Quinn yours, yours? The guy's a sex icon already. Let's just talk about that. I mean. The guy's got the freaking, like, whitewashed blonde mullet going. Zipping the ball around. His arm doesn't move. He looks like Phil Rivers throwing the ball. But somehow, he just flicks the wrist and it goes like 20 yards. I'm so excited. It's not even... We're a year away. We have CJ Straw probably going to play this year. I'm already looking to 2022. I got to chill out. I got to keep my mind under control because I'm really fired up about Quinn, guys.
1: Yeah, I wasn't sure who put that on there. I didn't know if Hayden put that on there as a joke. <laughs> but uh, I definitely noticed that. Anyways. Don't get too excited, cause there's a long way to go with that recruitment, and there's one school in mind that might have a might have a shot at Quinn. Who's that, KZ? Boomer Sooner.
0: I got nothing. That's a perfect way for us to end. Quinn, yours, fu- future Buckeye, like uh, legend. He's gonna be up on the Ring of Honor. I can't wait for it. It's gonna be great. But otherwise. Uh, I guess that's going to bring us to the end of another episode. We'll see you guys next week for episode 8 of Pigskins and Nylon.